Well, like I said, we have a little bit of an unusual passage for this year. I, I don't mean to sound um, kind of a dark here, but I, I think to myself, I will probably have to preach, you know, maybe 20, 30 more Christmas sermons. And sometimes I wonder, will I ever run out of things to say for Christmas time? And and yet I, I look at the scriptures and I, I have the opposite problem. Am I going to live long enough to preach on all of the wonders of Christmas and what Christ has done in coming to earth. So I, I know that's, um, this might seem like an unusual passage, but uh, just know that, that every verse, every book, is speaking to the things, the great things that God has done, speaking to uh, our own need for a Savior. So I hope by the end of today's message, you will see why this is not so unusual for a Christmas verse. Now, uh, really, I'm keying in on a certain verse in this passage in John 18. And I will read the whole thing, but I want to, uh, or I'll end up reading the whole thing as we go through it, but I, I want to key in on this verse right away, just so your eyes and your thoughts are drawn to it. It comes from verse 37. Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus is speaking plainly about Christmas, about his birth and the very reason and purpose for it. There's nowhere else in the Gospels where he makes such a direct statement, a direct correlation between his birth and his purpose. And so, this is, own, this is Jesus' own thoughts and words about his birth, about Christmas Day. So I thought, well, why don't we hear it from him? Why don't we understand what he would say about Christmas Day? Now, we're going to need some background because we're almost at the end of the story here in John 18. In fact, in just hours from this moment, this exchange with Pilate, in just hours... Jesus will be hanging on a cross and dying. How did we get to this point in Jesus' life? Well, we begin, of course, in terms of Jesus' earthly life with his birth. Jesus is God. He has always existed um, in, a, in a somewhat of a mystery of God being the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for eternity, from ages past to ages in the future. And we don't get into all of that, but when it comes to Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, his, his earthly life, we begin at his birth. The classic Christmas story of Mary and Joseph. We talked a little bit about that last night at the Christmas Eve service, but most of you are familiar with that. There's mangers, there's shepherds, there's a journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and all of those things that attended to that. But Jesus was miraculously, literally, physically born to Mary in Bethlehem about 2,000 years ago. Jesus then spent 30 years of his life in relative obscurity. We talked about that last night too, that he lived a very normal, ordinary life as a human being and yet fully God, 
which means that he went 30 years growing up as a child, listening to his parents, playing with cousins and relatives, learning the trade of his father, Joseph, which was carpentry, going to the different religious feasts and holidays with his uh, with his family, long road trips down to Jerusalem. He worked with people. He likely had a job by the time he was 30 or well before that. And so he had to think about it. Jesus had to deal with customers. He did chores around the house. He had his own spiritual life. He prayed to his father. He would, got schooling. He learned to read and write and speak. He learned more and more each day after his father died, which we presume because by the time Jesus starts his ministry, Joseph isn't there. We know that he was then taking care of his mother. He was the oldest child of his half-siblings. He did all of that, all those very human things, but without sin because he is God. But for the most part, he led a very normal, ordinary life while also completely trusting God, his father, and being faithful to him. Now, I thought about this more even since last night, that almost certainly Jesus wasn't like preaching and teaching and healing and doing miracles during those 30 years. That's what happened after he started his ministry. So he went around doing very mundane, normal things, living a quiet, dignified, godly life, just as you and I are trying to live, except he actually did it. No, no, no ministry tours, no healing, no big platforms, no confronting Pharisees. He just lived a normal life without sin for 30 years. But when he was about 30, the Bible says, that changed. He began his ministry. He gathered disciples. He began to preach and teach that the kingdom of God was at hand which was really asking this question. When he said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, really he's asking, are you the kind of person that is ready for God's perfect kingdom? Are you the kind of person that can be a part of God's divine kingdom? And the answer is that most weren't. In fact, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, who should have been the ones preparing people to receive the king, to be ready for God's kingdom, were instead more interested in building their own kingdoms. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the priests, all these Jewish leaders who should have been examples of those who belong to the kingdom of God instead were jealous of the king. They were jealous of Jesus. They saw his miracles, they heard his preaching, and rather than feeling inadequate, rather than feeling the weight of their sin, rather than seeing that the kingdom of God is for those who are not like them, they sought to kill Jesus. And finally, they did make a deal. They made a deal with the Roman government, and they were, uh, which they were under. The Jewish people were not living independently. They were all under a Roman empire. So they struck a deal with the Roman government and a traitor amongst Jesus' disciples, Judas Iscariot. And they arrested Jesus on the night of Passover, which was a Jewish feast, remembering the sacrifice of a lamb that death might pass over them. And on that night, he went to trial. And early the next day, he stood before a man named Pontius Pilate. 
was the Roman governor over Judea. And that was the name of that province um, that was essentially the home of the Jewish people. Now we'd call that area Israel. It is an independent nation. But at that time, it was called Judea. It was a Roman province, and the governor was Pontius Pilate. Now you have to understand, as a governor, Pilate would have had nearly unlimited power within his province. He was essentially the most powerful authority in Judea besides Caesar himself. But Pilate did give a lot of autonomy to the Jewish leaders, especially when it came to Jewish practices and religion and traditions. He gave them a lot of autonomy. And so actually you find just before John 18.33, Pilate had already tried to push Jesus back. This is a religious issue. This isn't a Roman government issue. He tried to push it back on the Jewish leaders to deal with it as their problem. But the issue was that the Jewish leaders, they didn't have the right to condemn a person to death. The Romans had to sign off on that kind of public execution. And so that's how we get to John 18, verse 33. That's how we get to Jesus saying, this is the reason I was born. What Jesus says here is in reference then to everything that is going to come between 33 to 36. So we're, we're working backward because I'm telling you, I told you up front where we're going to the conclusion. For this reason, I was born and for this purpose, I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. Well, what kind of things led up to that? What kind of truths is Jesus talking about? What kind of truth did he embody in his whole being and in his existence. That's what he means by this reason I was born, for this person that came to the world. This was everything about who Jesus was and is. And he says, I am the truth, capital T. I am the truth. He bears witness to it by being it. And those who are of the truth, those who love truth, those who seek truth, they will listen to his voice, meaning they will believe in him. They will have faith in him. And the question we end up with is Pilate going to believe in him? Is Pilate going to be of the truth? So we have two, just two Christmas truths this morning that Jesus is testifying to us. Two Christmas truths. And the first one is that Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. <clears throat> Verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Now this might seem like an odd question. Uh, I mean, did Pilate really think that this man who was dressed very simply, who was uh, a, a little bit of a vagrant. He, he was a little bit of a homeless man. He was what we'd call an itinerant preacher, meaning he traveled around preaching. He didn't have a home that he called his own. He wasn't married. He didn't have kids. Uh, nothing about Jesus would have screamed, this is a king. And when you think of his birth, Imagine, was there anything about his birth that was particularly kingly or noble? 
No, he was born to a humble, ordinary couple who were in Bethlehem because they needed to be counted for their taxes. It's not anything particularly noble or kingly. In fact, just the opposite. The king is the one who sets taxes. So here you have Jesus being driven, or his parents really being driven to go to Bethlehem because they needed to count their heads for the taxes to give to Rome. If anything, Jesus' birth is the opposite of the kind of entrance into the world that you would expect a king to have. Kings, uh, the children and the children of kings, they're entered into the world with, with trumpets, with, you know, uh, heralds, with newscasters, and, and everyone ooing and aahing. You have a lot of media presence and attention. Well, except for the shepherds receiving an angelic announcement, there was very little fanfare, not many well-wishers. Perhaps some family of David or Mary were there, and some animals. That's almost certainly true. When you think of the, 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 the Christmas morning where there's animals, that is almost certainly true. In fact, I, I, I should have made this request earlier. I was thinking for Go Tell It on the Mountain, John, um, if you had like a, like a sheep sound. Because I know you can customize that because you did the bells. Just a little bow or a moo. That would have been great. So maybe next year. <laughs> maybe next year. But on the other hand, so yeah, if you look at Jesus' life he, or his birth, you might think, why would why, you know he's not a king? Look how he was born into the world. You didn't even hear about it. It happened in some backwaters, or not backwaters, but this guy's from some backwaters in Nazareth. You know, they're in Bethlehem. It, 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 it's not very significant at all. On the other hand, the kinds of things that Jesus had done were extraordinary. He had preached with authority all throughout Judea. He had cast out demons. He had healed lepers and paralytics. He had fed tens of thousands of people with just a few loaves of bread and a handful of fish. Jesus walked on water. He'd even raised people from the dead. How could such a humble carpenter also do these incredible things and say things like, your sins are forgiven you, and I and the Father are one. So there is a little bit of a conundrum, a, a paradox. He's a very humble, ordinary man, and yet he does the most extraordinary, amazing things. And he makes claims that no one else has ever claimed. He backed everything he said up. He said up with power and authority over demons, over nature, over life and death and sin. He was an amazing man because of that contrast of, of humble and great, of powerful and gentle. Now, it is true that only the king prophesied in the Jewish scriptures, that is the Old Testament. It is true that only the king prophesied here was said to come humbly and lowly as a human, and yet with power and authority as God himself. In other words, the king of the Jews was someone that was Jewish in his humanity, in his DNA, but as God in the flesh, if he's truly God, which he demonstrated by these extraordinary things he did, if he is God in the flesh, that means Jesus is not just king of the Jews. He is king of kings. He is king of everything. 
And Pilate was alive at the time that Jesus gave proofs to these things. That's why Jesus said, did others say to you about me? I mean, others have seen and heard and testified. Didn't Jesus didn't do these things in a closet or in a small corner of the world? He did it in plain view of everyone. So didn't Pilate know who Jesus was, what his claims were? Or is it more true that Pilate didn't care? When Jesus asks that, are you saying this of your own accord, or did others say to you about me? It's a way of saying, Pilate, did you care enough about what the extraordinary things I was doing and saying that you yourself investigated? Were you a seeker of the truth? Or did you just hear about it and you were so concerned about your own kingship and kingdom that you didn't even care to investigate yourself? Now, to be fair, why doesn't Jesus just say, yes, Pilate, I am king of the Jews. Duh. Like, haven't you heard or seen anything I did? Why, why doesn't Jesus just say yes to the question? Well, because he's already given the proof of it. His life has been the evidence of the truth. He's borne witness to the truth the past three years of his ministry. And if that wasn't enough to persuade Pilate or even get Pilate to care about who Jesus was until this moment, was Jesus really going to persuade him here and now? If Jesus had said, yes, Pilate, I'm the king of the Jews, would that have persuaded him when three years of ministry had not? Well, of course not. That's why Jesus doesn't just say, yes, I am king of the Jews outright like that, because his life has already been testifying to that truth. Pilate's heart was already where it was. Nothing else could Jesus do except this one last thing, one last miracle could persuade Pilate. And that's, of course, Jesus dying and rising again. This Christmas morning, if the Christmas truth is Jesus is king, do you think Jesus is king? This Christmas morning, are you acknowledging, recognizing that Jesus is not just king of the Jews, but the king of kings? Or, or at the least, are you interested based on what the Bible says and four Gospels proclaim about who Jesus is, are you willing to say, I need to know if he is the truth with a capital T? These words bear witness to his humanity and his deity. And celebrating Christmas then this morning isn't just about a baby in a manger, but a king in a manger. Do you think Jesus is the king? Now, what did Pilate think? You look at verse 35. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Now, this is an interesting response. What does it demonstrate? Now, I've read this passage many times, and, and, uh, and, and most of the time I, I read it pretty much as Pilate obviously doesn't know what's going on. He's confused here. But there's something else going on here. Pilate's saying that his kingdom is greater than the kingdom of the Jews. That's at least one of the implications, right? Because saying, your leaders brought you to me. Why would they do that unless they were underneath Pilate, right? That Pilate had the greater authority, that they were just subjects in Pilate's kingdom. 
So even if Jesus were a king of the Jews, who's over the Jews? Pontius Pilate. And Caesar over Pontius Pilate. But here, in this room, Pilate was the final authority. And that's exactly what he thought. And to be honest, this is truly the answer most people will give to you. The average person that, that, that doesn't know the Bible or, or, or hasn't you know, grown up in, in church or anything, if you ask them if Jesus is king, I, I mean, they're, they're not going to acknowledge that. Why would you not acknowledge that except to think that you are the king of your life, that your kingdom is greater or more important or both than anything Jesus has to say? Pilate is simply reflecting our own thoughts. But just imagine the irony. Pilate was telling the king of the universe who's in charge here. Your leaders gave you over to me. They had to submit to my authority. I, I mean, they, they're, they're the ones that are giving you up, your own people. If you're a king of the Jews, they're, they're, they consider you a traitor, and I am the one ultimately anyway that has to deal with this situation. So you're obviously not in charge, Jesus. I am. And that's the way most of us live, isn't it? That we tell God who's in charge as if God doesn't have a right to tell us how to live or, or that we can argue with God and persuade him of something like you would if your parents were pushovers and you could kind of deal with them. Here's what I would do. And this is how people deal with God. Really. So if I wanted something, this is so silly, <laughs> but like if I wanted permission for something or I wanted something, you know what I'd do? I'd go to my dad while he was sleeping, right? And I would ask him, hey, dad, uh, if it's okay for me to go um, with my friends out to the movies, just don't say anything, right? Now he's, asl he's asleep, right? <laughs> so I'm going to take your silence as a yes, God, uh, uh, dad. Okay, so if you don't want me to go, you need to tell me right now. Nothing? Okay. And then I, I go do it. Right? That's really just me being in charge, isn't it? But people do that with God, too. Oh, God, if you really don't want me to sin, you're going to stop me right now. What do you want God to do? Hit you with lightning? I, I mean, that's, that is how we treat God, is we ask him, um, <laughs> you know, in that kind of, like, tricky way. We, we, we think we can swindle God. We think that because he doesn't answer us, you know, the right way or right now that he's not there. But even if he was standing in front of us, we would treat him like this, like Pilate. God is staring him in the face and he's telling God, you know who's in charge here, buddy? It's me. You need to explain yourself to me. What have you done? Why are your people turning against you? I'm the one that has the power of life and death here. You tell me what you did. Explain yourself to me. And that audacity to ask Jesus to give a defense of himself is us too. We want God to explain himself. Why did you do this? Why did you let this happen? You are on the defense here. Not me, you. But how arrogant is that? That is the very essence of our pride and our sinful, egotistical, selfish, arrogant way of thinking about I'm the king and this is my kingdom is that you tell God he needs to defend himself as if he is trespassing 
into my kingdom when it is I that am living on his earth, breathing the air that he gave in a body that he has gifted to me, and everything I have is his. It's almost childish and immature, except Pilate is deadly serious. But Jesus is gracious in his response to Pilate. He doesn't give him judgment necessarily, but he hits him with a second truth. The second Christmas truth is that Jesus' kingdom is not like any other kingdom. Jesus is the king, first Christmas truth. Second truth is that his kingdom is not like any kingdom of this world. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. He says it twice there. What does this imply about how the kingdoms of this world demonstrate power and authority? How do, how do nations demonstrate that? War, fighting. You, 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 you fight over money, you fight over territory, you, you fight over everything. That's how nations do things. And, and just imagine the scenario that Jesus is painting here. Again, like looking at this, I, I, never, I didn't think of it this way, but if the, prime, if the president or prime minister of a country were kidnapped by a foreign nation, what would happen? Well, that nation would consider it a dec the declaration of war. Just, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on politically, but if the president were captured or kidnapped, you should see that as a serious threat to national security and a cause for war. And if anything happened to the president, I don't care, you know, Republican, Democrat, if something happened to the president of this country, they were kidnapped and then tortured or killed or something, that country would find out why we spend $858 billion on our military, right? Well, that's 2023. <laughs> I mean, they would find out. Right? I mean, just think about it. If our president was just snatched, <laughs> taken to another nation, tortured, killed, I mean, war. Wouldn't it not be war? If Jesus were a king or a leader of a nation, like all the other nations, Pilate, having Pilate there, interrogating a king of another nation in this way would be cause for war, but not a war or a battle between nations with tanks and planes and bombs. It is a declaration of war, heaven and earth, God and the angels versus mankind. That's what Jesus is implying. If this were, if I were the kingdom, a king of a kingdom like the Romans or the Greeks or the Americans or whatever nation of the world, what you'd be doing right now would be cause for, for war. And my servants, who are the heavenly hosts, the, the angels, they would be here fighting it. And would it be much of a battle? Of course not. We've watched too many movies and shows if we think humans could fight against God in any meaningful way. God isn't just some being with superpowers. God is the beginning and the end the Alpha, the Omega. He's the eternal, knowable, and unknowable God. He's not confined to time and space. He's not made up of any material. There's no question 
And in a battle with God, we lose. And if Jesus were a king, like all the other kings and presidents and prime ministers and dictators, if his kingdom was like any other nation of the world with their wars and, and battles, there'd be no question God would just wipe us out. And really, that's what the outcome should be because the Bible says that we're all enemies of God, meaning we all are over here building our little kingdoms and we want God to stay out of it while I build my little kingdom over here. That makes us an enemy of God and God should go be at war with us. Now, Jesus isn't making a threat. That's the thing. He's not threatening kind of mildly, right? So you better let me go, Pilate. No, he's telling him a truth. He's not threatening that the angelic hosts are going to come and destroy Pilate, destroy Judea, destroy Rome, destroy the world. Jesus is emphasizing that this is how you know that he is a king unlike any other king. And his kingdom is unlike any other kingdom, exactly because it isn't based on trying to keep the king from dying. And it isn't spread through war and violence like every other nation and kingdom of the earth. Christmas is a proclamation of the truth that God's kingdom doesn't belong to the strongest, the richest, the most powerful, the the, the prettiest, the most talented. That's how the kingdoms of this world are built. No. God's kingdom, as we often say here, is an upside-down kingdom. The king dies for his people, not the other way around. And the people of the kingdom who want to be great, what does Jesus say? If you want to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you must be least of all and servant of all. And if the king is the greatest, then who must be the greatest servant? The king. Is Jesus the greatest servant of all? Yes, because again, in mere hours from this moment, he'll be hanging on a cross, shedding his perfect blood for sinners to forgive them and to give them peace with God. Pilate wouldn't understand. Really, most of us don't really either. I've been doing this many years, and I'm still, I feel like some days, just starting to glimpse the glory of God and his love, his sacrifice, his greatness and his humility. The world, from the business world to the family world, everything is like this. James talks about where do fights and quarrels arise. It's when you want and can't have. You desire, so you murder and you kill. In other words, everywhere you look, all the other kingdoms. Now, you know, we're, we're not used to um, a kingdom mentality, but, um, you know, in, in a lot of ancient history, you had like city-states and you'd have walls around your city and you'd fight for your little city-state. We're not accustomed. It's not like Irvine's ever going to build up a wall and we're going to have to defend ourselves against, you know, the people from, um, you know, Lake Forest or 
Laguna Woods. <laughs> you know, like, we're, we're very far from that kind of mentality, right, of fighting. But you know where we do have this mentality? Like the business world. I know, you guys, I, I hear you guys in the business world, and it feels like you're at war. You're at war with your mid-level management. You're at war with the upper-level management. You're at war with people underneath you. You're at war with people that you work with that you know they're just trying to jostle into position and get something on over you, take advantage of a situation, maneuver themselves, get you out of the picture. I, I've heard it all. It's just as cutthroat. Even if there's no violence involved, it's just as cutthroat. The heart is still the same. My kingdom, my way, me. But those who belong to God's kingdom are the ones who believe most that they don't belong to it and that only by a gracious, merciful, loving, sacrificing king can I be made worthy to enter into it. And so that makes me a different person. If I'm a citizen of that kingdom, how could I be cutthroat, ruthless? How could I be merciless? How could I be loveless? How could I be selfish? I'm a part of a kingdom where the king is so long-suffering, patient, kind, and good. This morning, do you belong to his kingdom? It's not an unpatriotic thing. I'm not telling you you shouldn't care about the country you live in. It's not anything to, to say that, you know, you, you, you can't be a citizen, a good citizen of America, whatever country you're from, and be a Christian it's something more basic. I don't think Jesus is trying to call Pilate out on him being a governor of, of a Roman province. Jesus is just calling Pilate out on being the governor of Pilate's life, you know, being the king of his own life. That's what he's calling him out on. And that's what Jesus is calling us out on. Are you trying to be the king of your own life and your own kingdom? If you are, you can't Build your kingdom and belong to God's kingdom. Now, of course, I'm not sure if Pilate really understood any of this. When he says, so you are a king, in verse 37. I don't know if that's exasperation. I don't know if he's confused. You can't really tell from the words alone. I mean, I'd love to, I, I, I often think about this scene, actually, and I just wish I had a, a camera there or I could be a fly on the wall and, and see the, the tones and the looks between Pilate and Jesus and all those interactions. Maybe in heaven you can go back and kind of look at the events of history somehow. But we do know Jesus' response. He says, you say that I am a king. And we know that Jesus saying that is not affirming that Pilate himself believes and trusts in that truth. He is saying, though, or he is calling him out. You say it, but you don't believe it. That's what the essence of this is. Like, in a, in a way, is Jesus saying, yes, he is, by sort of kind of affirming that te technically Pilate's speaking truth. But this whole conversation, if you haven't understood by now, is about Pilate. It's about his response. It's about what he's going to do with Jesus. And Jesus is pointing out, you, you say it, but you don't believe it. You don't think I'm actually a king. 
Instead, that's why Jesus breaks it down even more basic, more simple. Yeah, you say that I'm a king. The words are coming out, you don't understand it. Here's why. For this purpose, I was born for this. I was, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. Either Christmas morning celebrates a truth that is more true than any other truth, or we live in a world where we truly don't know anything. Jesus is claiming there is such a thing as truth, and because he is God, he is it. This isn't kingship, which is about, you know, who's born of a royal lineage and what territories do you own. We're talking about kingship as in who knows the truth of this world, this existence. The one who knows the truth of that is the one who rules over it, the one who is the king. Jesus isn't just a king. He is truth with a capital T. And if we don't believe Jesus, if we don't believe that there's truth, then we know nothing. We don't know why we're here. We don't know how we got here, what we're supposed to do, what's right and wrong. If there's no such thing as truth, we live in, abs- in an absurd, crazy world where we can't tell the difference between good and evil. And the only thing left is contradiction and, 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 and feelings and opinions and ideas, but no one ever to say, this is right, this is wrong. And of course, this world of con- contradictions is exactly the world that we see around us. Jesus makes it very simple. I am the truth. That's why I came here. I am the truth about who you are. You're sinners. You're enemies of God. You need forgiveness. He's the truth about God and his love and his mercy and tenderness towards us, that he would die on a cross to take our sins. He is the truth that any who will hear and listen and believe are of the truth, are part of the kingdom of truth. The world needs Christmas because the world needs truth. And we increasingly live in a world where people say, just as Pilate did, what is truth? Imagine even asking that kind of question when truth is standing you in the face. And yet that is such a basic question. It's not a philosophical question. You know, this is not something to do with Aristotle and Socrates. This is simply about how can you live? How can you live one moment of your life in the absurdity and craziness of the world unless there is truth that you can know? and believe in. And there are true things. There are true things. You know that there is such a thing as truth. It's not all up for grabs. And that means that there is a God. The world needs Christmas like the world needs truth. Not only that, the world needs Christians who believe in truth those who listen to the voice of Jesus, those who turn away from building their own kingdom to serve in the kingdom of God, who turn away from their selfishness, pride, ego, idolatry of things and people and status and money, 
and instead put all faith and trust and hope in the truth of Jesus Christ and let him be the king in our lives. The world needs Christians who will bear witness to the truth and have this purpose in their own lives for which they were born and came into the world. Like I said, this interview is ultimately about Pilate. What does he think of Jesus? What will Pilate do with Jesus? And now 2,000 years later on Christmas Day 2022, the same question is being posed to you this Christmas morning. What do you think of Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? If you're a Christian here this morning, you're a child of the truth. You're a part of the kingdom of truth. Go and be truth tellers and truth proclaimers. If you're not a Christian this morning, look into the life of Jesus and you will see truth. I promise you. And then it will be up to you. Will you listen? Will you follow and believe? Or will you build your own kingdom? Be the king of your own little territory and then when you die, lose it all and then have to stand before the king of the universe and and try to justify why you spent your whole life building up a kingdom that will not last when God was offering a kingdom that is forever, the kingdom of love, the upside-down kingdom. If you're not a Christian today, turn to him. If you have any questions about Jesus, who he is, his kingdom, anything the Bible says, I'd love to talk with you about that. There's a ton of people here who would love to talk to you about that as well on this fine Christmas morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word and Lord, even for a unusual Christmas passage. It's an unusual warm Christmas day, and for me, it's been an unusual year, and yet everything fits together and makes sense when I know you are the truth. And so, Lord, for whatever this year might have brought and for whatever next year might bring, let us be known as those who hear the truth and respond with faith, trust, love, hope, obedience. Thank you, Lord, again for this opportunity to gather together. May you be honored and glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we are going to close. We're gonna sing Joy to the World. It's technically a second coming hymn, not a first coming, but we often associate